following resource is from Welford Baptist Church. We'll grab your copy of God's Word and go to the New Testament book of Matthew chapter 21 for our message, Save Now. I hope that you'll keep your Bibles open in front of you during this message. A pastor received the following email from one of his church members. It said, Dear Pastor, you often stress attendance at worship as being very important, but I think a person has a right to miss now and then. I think every person ought to be excused for the following reasons and the number of times indicated. Christmas, both the Sunday before and after, two times. New Year's, both the Sunday before and after, two times. Easter, the Sunday of and the one after. We need to get away for the holidays, two times. End of school year, the kids really need a break. Beginning of school year, we really need a break, two times. Sleeping late because of Saturday night activities, eight times. Emergencies, five. Sickness, five. Business trips, I have to go out of town, five. Summer vacations, three. Bad weather, three. Ball games, seven. Unexpected company, we can't just walk out on them, six. That leaves two Sundays each year. And so we wanted to know that you can count on us Palm Sunday and the third Sunday of August unless something comes up. <laughs> Sincerely, a faithful member. Well, there's not, nothing like being able to count on somebody at least two times a year. Today's a very special day in the life of our church. It is Palm Sunday, the story of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem long ago. And you've heard the story of the children waving the palm branches. And as you've heard this story, you know there's more to the story than just today. There's an entire drama that unfolds this coming week. In fact, this is the start of, of Holy Week leading up to Easter next Sunday. You'll remember the story of Jesus chasing out the money changers from the temple and overturning the tables. And he enjoys the last Passover meal with his disciples. And he spends some lonely time in the Garden of Gethsemane in prayer because he knows what is ahead, and he needs his father's help to sustain him. And you know the horrible events of that Friday. And you've heard the story of how the crowd turned against Jesus and how his disciples ran away in fear. And at least one of them even denied ever knowing Jesus. Well, on Palm Sunday, the people wanted Jesus to be their king, but to be their king on their terms. Not much has changed after 2,000 years, has it? Now, the colt mentioned in our story this morning must have been very young, spirited, difficult to ride because Mark 11:2 says it was one that had never been ridden. There's a colt in every one of us. It demands attention, but on its own terms. It would be easy for our colt inside of us to, to buck up and to revolt and to rebel rather than to go easy with Jesus as he tries to guide us and direct us. This is where the decision we have to make this morning is, are we going to surrender to Jesus all that we are? Or are we going to stay our own way, our own path? And choose what we want. So follow along in your Bibles as we read Matthew 21 verses 1 through 9. Now when they drew near to Bethlehem and came to Bethage to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them go into the village in front of you. And immediately you will find a colt or donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. 
If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I encourage you to pull out a pen and and jot down these truths that we're going to pull out of this text and these verses. Here's your big idea. We have a decision to make. Will we live under the control of Christ or remain tied up by our own choices? So the call of Christ comes to each of us. He has sent his Holy Spirit to help us surrender our opportunity to go our way and trust in him to lead us the way he wants us to go. So we say no to the road of immorality or or bodily and selfish appetites and desires. And we choose instead to make our bodies a living sacrifice according to Romans chapter 12. We do that so that God will get all the glory that he deserves. As Jesus is approaching Jerusalem to be honored and worshipped even by the young and the crowd, we think about how he comes in on on a donkey. I read that at the age of 33, Alexander rode upon his mighty steed, surrounded by soldiers whose shields were shining and their spears were glistening in the sunlight. Yet Zion's king, also 33, came riding in on a a donkey. Why did Jesus ride on on a donkey? Why didn't he come with some kind of impressive display of strength? Because in doing so, he was showing that he was humble, touchable and relatable wouldn't you rather have a king who is those things rather than a king who is selfish and self-centered in fact so seemingly ordinary did Jesus appear that he needed Judas to identify him to the soldiers who came to arrest him when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem the week before he was crucified the people cried Hosanna or literally save now Indeed, Jesus came for their salvation, able to do just that, but the people didn't realize the salvation he offered was not political, but spiritual. So we have decisions to make in our own lives. Will we choose to do our own thing, or will we submit to God and do his will? Will we respond to the current move of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, or will we stay the way that we are? Will we serve and worship the Lord in humility Or will we bask in our own glory? We see in our story that the city of Jerusalem is teeming with people, probably two million in number. They're there to commemorate the Passover, an event that had taken place 1,500 years earlier. And because the word Hosanna means save now, the crowd was essentially saying, overthrow the Roman Empire now. Do it now. Help us economically and do it now. Lead us militarily. And do it now. No wonder as the week went on and they realized that none of those things were going to happen the way they wanted, they turned against Jesus and eventually were crying out, crucify him 
crucify him. I see the same thing happen today. There's a tendency within the heart of each of us to just give up when things don't work out, to turn on God and say it's your fault. Look, you had the power, you had the ability, but you did nothing. So here's the truth to remember. If you're expecting Jesus to be a good luck charm, you will be disappointed when things don't go the way you think they should. Listen to verses 1 through 3 again. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. If we expect Jesus to only help us financially or only to help us physically or vocationally or educationally, we're going to be disappointed when things don't go the way we think they should. We're to realize that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins. Jesus Christ came to save us, but to save us eternally, to pay the price for our iniquity so that we could go and be with him forever in heaven. And if we confess our sins and trust in Jesus, he's faithful and just, the Bible says, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's much better than any good luck charm that any of us could carry. Notice Christ sent two disciples into the city to secure a donkey and a young colt. He borrowed the two animals from another man, probably another disciple. But the important thing to notice here is the strength and the authority Christ has throughout this whole event. He assumed the position of Messiah, the Lord God, Jehovah, of all men and of all their will and even of all their property, even of their animals. You see, every mission of the Lord, every task, no matter how small, is important. Going to fetch the animals was a small task, but it was important, critically, for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem in this way because no task is ever too small for the Lord. Listen, no task is ever too small for us either. Note two things. Number one, Jesus wants to use you to encourage and comfort others even in the small things. When he sends you to comfort somebody, he's doing so so that person will not be alone. And it may seem like a small thing to you to call somebody up on the phone and pray with them over the phone or to find some way to connect with somebody who needs a prayer. But that's a big thing to them. He sends with each of us an opportunity to accomplish what he wants to do in somebody's life. Don't try to be a a Rambo type of Christian going at it yourself. Be open to, listen, supporting others but also being supported by others. I think that's really harder a lot of times, is it not? To receive support from others when we need it than it is for us to support somebody when they need it. And yet it's so important that we have both. That's why coming to church is so important. I talk to some people and they say, Pastor Carl, I don't don't need to go to church. I can worship Jesus wherever I am, at the beach or in the mountains or in the park or at my home, wherever. And it's true, you can worship God anywhere, but you know what? You can't be with a group of other believers if you're not in church where you need to be. You can't be, a, a, it, it, we can't, you can't be in a situation where somebody here needs you. They need to see your presence. We were just talking earlier about how good it is to see people. That's an encouragement for all of us. And your presence here helps others. But listen, your presence here also helps yourself. 
The church needs you, and you need the church. So let's remember that. Secondly, how often has Christ had a task to be done, and there was no one to do it, especially the small ones? Some might think that providing a Wednesday night meal here at our church is a small task. Let me tell you, it's not. It's a big task. Somebody has to purchase the the food. Somebody has to set up ahead of time. Somebody has to come and prepare the meal ahead of time. Somebody has to serve the meal. For those of us who come in and just enjoy a Wednesday night meal, we're enjoying it because of the sacrifices of so many other people. Now, I got to tell you, I'm the unofficial taster when it comes to Wednesday night meals at our church, okay? Susan Keese and Lynn C.'s team was preparing this past Wednesday, and I went in there, and they said, oh, here's Pastor Carl, you know, he wants to test the food, you know? And so, they helped me to test the food because, listen, that's not a little thing. It's a big thing to be able to provide a meal for people to come. Listen, there's no excuse for people not to be here on Wednesday night. When we provide a meal, you don't have to cook food. You don't have to clean dishes. You don't have to do anything but show up and eat and then receive the Word of God in Bible study, whether you're a child, a teenager, or an adult. Make sure that when God calls you to do the little things, you don't just discount it, but you let Him use you in a powerful way. If Jesus never does anything else for you, The cross is more than enough to deserve your devotion. Look at verses 4 and 5. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Can't you almost hear the Roman soldiers garrisoned in Jerusalem snickering? As Jesus rides by on a donkey. What kind of king is this? What kind of military leader is this? When a Roman leader came cruising into the city, it wasn't on a donkey. No, Roman rulers rode black stallions followed by chariots and thousands of soldiers behind them marching in step with one another. But I wonder what the Romans of this world will say when Jesus returns again. For the next time he comes, he'll not be riding on a lowly donkey. No, the Bible says he'll be on a white horse. Listen, and he'll be riding a a horse followed by 10,000 of his saints, according to Jude 14. You see, the first time Jesus came, he was the suffering servant. The next time he comes, he will come as the conquering king. And I cannot wait for that day. In fact, that's what keeps me going is looking for the day when Jesus returns and takes us home to be with him. The main focus of most preachers in this part of the drama is that the people spread out their cloaks and they they wave their palm branches. Uh, Look at verses 8 and 9 again. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of God, the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This crowd shouts, blessed is he who comes. And then they they turn on him. And we need to focus on that turn of events that reveal the insincerity of their devotion. You see, the story of these people shows something significant about the way life is and how people can be one minute, one way, one minute, and another way the next minute. It speaks about the temptations and the weaknesses 
that crouch, crouches at every one of our doors. We'll deal with that later on this week. On Monday, Thursday, we'll have a service unlike any other. It'll be deeply moving. I encourage you to be here. I hope you'll come Thursday night as we remember the night Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he took a cup and he blessed it. And he had that last supper with the disciples. We'll have communion Thursday night. If there's any night of the entire year to come to church, it's, it's Thursday of Holy Week. And the crowd's response to Jesus in both their praise on Sunday and their cry for blood at the end of the week is important. Because it's important to focus on what is interwoven in the story in this last week of Jesus' life on earth. The stories not only of the unfaithfulness of the people who claim to know Christ, but of the faithfulness. That's what I've been thinking about this week in preparing this message. You know, those who were faithful are not as prominently mentioned in the story as those who were not. But the story of those people who were faithful says something significant about the way we can live our lives. So let's think about this. The women, they didn't abandon Jesus even after he'd been arrested. Praise God for the women. They came and stood at the cross. Joseph of Arimathea came forward and said, I have a tomb. I'll give it to the man. One of the bravest acts I can think of is Nicodemus, who had a lot to lose by admitting a connection with Jesus. But he came forward and claimed the body of the man from Nazareth. Thank God there are people who fall away. You know, we hear about people that, that thank God for people that don't fall away. We hear about people who fall away all the time, don't we? They make the news. They're the ones that the media and the world uh, ridicule and say, hey, they said they were a Christian. Look at the way they turned out. But then think about those ones who are faithful. Think about those ones who are consistent. Thank God for those who don't fall away. And that would include many of you. You see, next Sunday, even if the weather's bad, I expect many of you to come back out for Easter Sunday. Even if you want to sleep a little bit longer, I expect you to be here because you're here today. And you know how important Palm Sunday is, but oh, you know how important Easter Sunday is. I expect many of you will come back. I heard about this fellow who was complaining to his wife while driving home one Sunday following one of his rare appearances in church. While they were driving home, he said, that's another reason I don't like the church. Every time I go, they sing, the, they sing the same two songs. Every time I go, it's either joy to the world or he's alive. <laughs> Next Sunday, you're going to be at church because you know how important it is to be in God's house throughout the year. But before we get there, I want to say thank you and thank God for those of you who are here today. Thank you for those of you who will continue your efforts in being faithful in learning and growing as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what helps us to be faithful is when you realize that Jesus Christ came to die and pay the price for your wickedness. And if he never does anything else to bless you in your life, if nothing ever goes your way from now until the time Jesus comes back or the time you go to be with him in glory, he will deserve your honor and praise and adoration. There are many sins, but there's really only one sin. Substituting some other God for the one true God. Look at verses uh, 6 and 7. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. This is the difference between the crowd who ultimately turned on Jesus 
and the disciples who did what he called them to do. They may have turned on him for a little while, but they came back because they knew the person they followed. When you create a Messiah of your own desire and your own imagination, then you worship that Messiah rather than the God who created you. And the only way to be delivered from that is to do precisely what the Bible tells us to do, and that is turn to God through Christ. Recognize that you can't get to him any other way. In fact, isn't true faith one of the central events and perhaps the main event of Jesus' final week in his life? We find that he goes alone to the Garden of Gethsemane because he knew what lay ahead, but he still followed the plan. He still was faithful in what God, his father, had called him to do. He didn't just duck out or give up or turn it in. He demonstrated true faithfulness. And listen, he wants us to imitate him. He wants us to reflect the light that he brings. So here's some personal application. What does it take to become a person that others can count on? It takes faithfulness. We all appreciate those people in our lives that we can count on, don't we? People who who look for a vehicle, Johnny, they want a car that's dependable, don't they? They want a car that will get them from point A to point B. When somebody buys a washing machine, they want not necessarily all the bells and whistles. They just want a washing machine that works. They don't want a washing machine that gets the clothes clean. You buy a lawnmower, you want that lawnmower to cut the grass, Fred, right? You want the lawnmower to get the grass cut the way you want it to be cut. So you look for dependability. You think of your dad or somebody who worked for 30 years, uh, 40 years at some company and then was rewarded with a, a gold watch. That's faithfulness. That's dependability. Think of the pets that that people have. Say, those pets are loyal. They'll go wherever I go. They'll do whatever I say. I read a story about this shepherd who had a dog. It's a true story. The shepherd and the dog were together for many years, and the dog would do anything for his master. Well, the master died, and after the funeral, the dog laid down on his grave that his master had been buried in. No matter how many many people tried to coax the dog away from the grave, he just remained there for seven years. He stayed at the graveside, and then he died. Talk about faithfulness. That's true faithfulness. God wants you to be a person that can be counted on. Because you know what? Faithfulness is a rare commodity today, isn't it? It's not the kind of quality or character that seems to be as valued as other traits in our society. But amazingly, God wants to make you like a rock. And the good news is, God is at work in your life. If you'll just yield to him, if you'll just follow what he's calling you to do, he'll make you faithful like Jesus. But how can we get past being people who simply have emotional responses to situations? Well, your ability to be faithful comes from first experiencing God's faithfulness. We can be faithful when we've experienced God's faithfulness. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. That's the God we're talking about. God is faithful to empower you to do whatever it is he calls you to do. Does this mean that I don't have to be diligent, I don't have to work hard? No, that's not what it means at all. But the empowerment comes first 
Not from any hard work you do, not from any pre-planning that you do, not from any vision that you have, although all those are important. It comes from first having your, your time alone with the Lord. Experiencing His faithfulness. And when you know that God is faithful to you, you know you can be faithful to Him and faithful to others. Listen to Psalm 86, 15. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Of all the things there are about God, and we can appreciate a lot of them, we can certainly appreciate God's faithfulness. He's true to His Word. Even when we're faithless, God remains faithful because that's who he is. I'm thankful God is not an emotional God, aren't you? I'm thankful that he is not just reacting to whether he's feeling good on that day or not. I'm glad that our God is not a procrastinator. He doesn't say, well, I'm going to do that when I I get around to it. I'm glad our God is not a God who acts on impulse. You know, he feels like doing one thing one minute and something else the next minute. I'm glad our God is not forgetful. He's not the kind of God who says, oh, I forgot you needed help and I should have been there. I'm sorry. I'll try to do better next time. No, he's faithful. He's consistent. He's dependable. He's there all the time. And you know what? He wants us to be that way also. If we call the name of Jesus Christ, we should act like Jesus Christ. If we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, which we do as a believer, we should allow the Holy Spirit to live the way God wants us to live. So when we get to know God and His faithfulness, it enables us to be more faithful. In Yellowstone National Park, one of the things at the park is the most famous geyser in America. You know, Old Faithful. It's not because it's the biggest, because there are others that are bigger. It's not known for being the most powerful, because there's others that are most powerful in the world. No, it's famous. Why? Because it's dependable. Because it's like clockwork. We enjoy that kind of faithfulness, and God wants us to be faithful as well. Notice faithfulness makes life so much better. Life is so much better when people are people you can depend upon. I believe that many of you have problems today, and maybe in your life, those problems are a result of somebody being unreliable in your life. You know, you know what I mean? It's hard to rely on people who say, well, you know, something came up. I forgot. I just didn't get around to it. I don't know where the time went. There's a saying that an unfaithful person is like having a pain in your life. When you have a toothache or a pain in your, in your leg, you know when that shooting pain comes, it's going to affect your whole body and it's going to make you tense. You can never relax as long as the pain is there. Well, in the same way, when you live with or work with or have a relationship with somebody you know who's going to let you down or disappoint you or not do something that they said they would do, listen, that's difficult. Unreliable people cannot be trusted. We all depend on faithfulness in our lives. We enjoy people who are faithful in our lives. We, we look for the mailman to come at the same time every day, don't we? I have people in my neighborhood. Listen, as soon as the mailman comes, they rush out to the mailbox and they get their mail. They've been sitting in the window waiting for the mailman to come. We depend on the waitress to be faithful and getting our order right, being dependable, bringing our order the way we ordered it. 
We depend on the repairman to show up sometime between nine and noon, you know. When they don't show up, it's irritating, isn't it? They expect you to be there to let them in. But then when they don't show up, well, something came up, you know, we got busy. Well, I'm not dependable. Life works so much better when people are dependable to us. And listen, when we're dependable for other people. And God rewards faithfulness. After this life is over and it's going to be for all of us, God's going to call us home. The question is going to be, what did you do with what I entrusted you with? The question will be, what did you do with what I gave you? Everything, by the way, is given to us by God. We're stewards. Paul said in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do we have that we have not received? You'll not be judged according to your good intentions. You'll not be judged according to your sincere intentions or anything else that doesn't directly result in godly actions. God wants us to be faithful by trusting in Him and allowing Him to be the faithful one using us to live for Him. Notice next, follow through with what you say. Follow through with what you say. Keep your promises. If you want to grow in faithfulness, begin by keeping your promises. Proverbs 25, 14 says, The clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of gifts but does not give. People following through when they promise something is refreshing, isn't it? It's like rain in the summer after a hot spell. But when someone says these big promises, it's like having a cloud and the wind beginning to stir up and you anticipate the rain, but the rain never comes. In fact, you may be looking forward to rain and the wind blows and the clouds just roll on by and you don't get the relief or the refreshment. The sun comes back out, it's hot again. Well, in the same way, we don't want to be people like that in our lives. Make promises, but not follow through with what we promise. Have you ever said, I'll call you right back, and then not called the person? Let's get together sometime soon, but never plan to get together. I'll be there. I'll make an appointment. I'll be there at 8 a.m., but you don't show up. When you move, I'll be there to help you. But you're not there when they're moving the furniture. Have you ever said, I'll pray for you, but never get around to praying with the person? That's why I think it's important. We say, I'm going to pray for somebody. Pray for them right there. And then you'll never forget. And then, listen to this. It's good when they hear you pray. Because they hear you pray about what their need is. So that's a good habit to form. How about, I'll get right back to you, but never get back to the person. How reliable is your word? Are you consistent and dependable in what you say you will do. Now I realize in our day, many people have gone through difficulties and there are broken promises all around us. But listen, today is a new day. We have a new start. God wants to make you like a rock. That's what Jesus said to one of his most emotionally challenging uh, disciples, Peter. Jesus nicknamed him a little rock, saying to him, I will make you dependable. I'll make you faithful. And God wants to do the same thing with you and with me. I've always thought about the thief on the cross and Jesus' compassionate response to him. The thief knew he didn't deserve paradise. And yet when he humbly turned to Jesus and said, remember me when you get into your kingdom, you remember what Jesus said? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. 
It's a beautiful picture of, of the grace of God. This scene also provides us perhaps the greatest example of faith. Think about it. The thief put his complete confidence in Jesus at his worst moment when Jesus seemed to be defeated and seemed to be dying with no hope of ever coming back. How does a person like that thief place their confidence in a Messiah who's hanging condemned and forsaken on a cruel cross right next to them? This puts our own call to faith in perspective, does it not? I mean, how do we respond when life makes no sense and God seems to be so far away and everything seems to be out of control? The belief, the thief believed in a dying Jesus. Can we believe in a risen one? Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our church, visit welfarechurch.org. Blessings.